All right. Well, grab your Bibles, if you will. If you haven't, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Two weeks ago, we kind of began the message, or in the context of the message, we talked about uh, the tax collectors and sinners, and, and I think we talked a little bit about them. You know, the tax collectors, they just were hated. I mean, they were the... They were tra- traitors. They were the, the kind of their, their version of the IRS, but they just robbed and stealed, and so everybody hated them. And the sinners were Jews that wouldn't be Jews, and so they were sinners, and the religious people hated them. And, and the amazing thing is, the people that that were so bad loved Jesus. They loved to hang out with him. As a matter of fact, they flocked to Jesus in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Mark. It seems like almost every chapter. There's a crowd that flocks to Jesus. Jesus would get up in the morning and he'd go out to pray and a crowd would, you know, as soon as they figured out where he was, they would flock to him. Or if he'd try to go eat or wherever he was, wherever he went, he had crowds all around him. And, and the question is, why did they flock to him? Why, why did those who were so unlike Jesus like Jesus? Because a lot of times the people that are unlike us, they don't especially like us. And the people that are not like us, we don't, you know, gravitate toward them. And yet Jesus, the people that were the most not like him, loved to be with him. And so why is that? What was it about him? Well, certainly it wasn't the money, because he didn't have any money. I mean, the, the one guy comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, well, I don't have anywhere, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests. He says, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. I don't have anything. You really want to sign up for this? So we know that they didn't, they didn't go to Jesus because he had the money. Secondly, that they didn't go to Jesus because, um, you know, because he had some great authority. And they thought, well, you know, if, I mean, I think the disciples kind of thought, well, he's the Messiah. He's going to be in charge. But the crowds knew, man, he, he was a nobody. I mean, of all, I mean, he was from Nazareth, a little hole in the road. Nobody important came from there. And so they didn't, they didn't flock to him because he was famous. They didn't flocked to him because of his finances. And, uh, and so when did they come to it? Was he this great, handsome, good-looking guy, just popular guy? Well, no. As a matter of fact, have you ever thought about this? Nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the New Testament do we get a description of Jesus. None of his physical features. As a matter of fact, the only thing we know we learn from Isaiah. This is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, verse 2. It says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Jesus was not a handsome guy. He was not a physical specimen. In fact, he goes on to say this. He had no beauty that we should desire him. And so nobody flocked to Jesus for financial reasons. Nobody flocked to Jesus because he was famous. Nobody flocked to Jesus because he was this physically attractive guy. So, so why did they? What was it about him? Well, Luke gives us some insight. Listen, Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And, verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went all, or went out through all the surrounding country. So think about this. Jesus Christ was the God-man. He was the God-man. And yet, 
What we know is he was filled by the Spirit, he was led by the Spirit, and he was empowered by the Spirit. So what, think about this, what made Jesus attractive was the Spirit in him working out the character of God. Now, now imagine with me for a minute. The same Holy Spirit that filled Jesus led Jesus and empowered Jesus lives inside of you if you are a follower of Jesus. And so it's incredible to think about that what he had at his disposal, we have at ours. Everybody that wasn't, you know, all those people that weren't like him, liked him. They, were, they flocked to him. They were attracted to him. And, and the reason they were is because the Spirit working out in him. And, and so the question, that, that's what influenced Jesus. So the question is, what is it that, that really that, that influences us? What, what is it that controls us? Because the Spirit controlled him. And when the Spirit controlled him, people that, that were far from God loved to be around him. And so, so what, is, what is it that controls you and me? What is, what is the great influencer in our life? And in my devotional journey this year, these few weeks, I've been reading through the book of Galatians. And, and in reading through Galatians, I stumbled on the, I didn't stumble on it, but I, I just connected with this idea of the spirit-filled life. And, and let me just read the text, and then I'll share some thoughts about that. And then I hope to give you a couple practical things that will help you and help me live the life that God's called us to. Look down your Bibles, verse 16, Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's an interesting statement. In case we don't come back to that, Notice there, there is a, there's a battle going on in your, in your life and my life between the, the, the works of the flesh, our old nature, and the, and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and notice what he says there. It keeps you from doing the things you want to do. Well, God wants to fix that in you, and God wants to fix that in me, that idea that we can't do what we want to do. And the way he fixes that is through the Spirit-filled life. So, so let's... Just let's go on. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, he says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, probably write in your margin the word practice, those who practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Would you pray with me? Father, in these next few minutes, as we unpack this idea of living by the Spirit or walking by the Spirit, whatever term we choose, I pray that you would 
just enlighten the eyes of our heart because everyone here that's a follower of Jesus has the Spirit, but not all of us really walk with and by the Spirit on a regular basis. So come and teach us this morning. And then, Father, for those that are here this morning, I know there are some who are, who are yet to surrender their life to Christ. They're not yet followers. And God, I pray they would see that there's this great opportunity when you come to, when you give your life to Christ, when you come to Christ, then, then Father, you send your spirit into our life and you empower us to live the life that you called us to live. So speak into our hearts this morning and we'll give you the honor and glory for all that you do. And I ask and pray this, Father, now in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Holy Spirit, uh, some writers have said this, and, and uh, I think Ray Pritchard was one that I, I was reading about in particular. You know, the Holy Spirit can, can kind of be a, a mystery to, to some believers. If you grew up Southern Baptist, or if you grew up Methodist, um, you grew up traditional evangelical, you, you probably didn't grow up, at least if you're my age, you didn't hear a lot of sermons about the Holy Spirit. In fact, a lot of evangelicals, we, we, we were a little confused. In fact, they, they were a little bit afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit because they were afraid of, you know, that, you know, kind of the, the charismatic influence that, that, that some churches experience. And, and, so, and so what that means is that, that we know who the Father is because we pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We know who Jesus is because if you're a follower, you've come to know him. He's forgiven your sins and he's changed your life and he's your Lord and he's your Savior. But for many of us, the Holy Spirit is kind of the hidden member of the Trinity. I mean, we know about him, but we don't really know him. And yet, when we study the scriptures... The source of our comfort and the source of our hope and the one who guides us into all the truth and the guarantor of our inheritance and the earnest money of our deposit, all these things that we need to live out our faith and to be who God's called us to be, they come through the Holy Spirit. And so we, we need to discover what it means to walk by the Spirit. In fact, Pritchard goes on to say, many believers... They fail to live up to their spiritual potential because they don't understand the power that comes uh, through the spirit-filled life. I mean, if we're going to have peace, if we're going to have joy, if we're going to if we're going to have victory in our life, it's, it's going to come through the Holy Spirit, and and it's it's going to come through His power. It's going to come through His gifting. It's going to come through His anointing and His intercession. And so we've got to kind of learn that. You know, here's the thing: if 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 we live without the Holy Spirit as a Christian, it, it's like trying to drive a car without gas. Now, you don't have to know everything there is to know about internal combustion. Uh, to, you just need to know that if my car's going to go, I need to put gas in it, right? I mean, you, you need to know that much. I, I read a story a number of years ago. A teenage daughter, I shouldn't say this because I've got one, teenage daughter had just learned to drive. And father gets a call one day and says, Dad, I don't know what's going on. The car just stopped in the middle of the road. I don't know what happened. And he said, well, well honey, can you turn the ignition over? There's a, there's a little gauge up there. It has an F on one side and it has an E on the other side. Just said, tell me, tell me what that gauge says. And she says, Dad, the, 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 the red thing's laying on the E. He goes, baby, your car's out of gas. She says, Dad, can I drive it home? 
She didn't understand that you got to have gas in order for the car to go. As a believer, we have to understand we, got, we have to have the Spirit. We have to walk with the Spirit in order for the Christian life to work. Otherwise, we live, discourage, we live in discouragement. Sometimes we live in defeat. Sometimes we live uh, a dissatisfied life. Now, God's not called us to that. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. But for many of us, we're, we're not really living the victorious, full, satisfied Christian life. For many of us, we, we struggle with disappointment. We just do. There's just things that disappoint us. For many of us, we, we're kind of, we live defeated lives. I mean, we, we're defeated by worry. We're defeated by anxiety. You know, we may have some sin habit in our life that we want to get rid of, but we can't get rid of. And so we just kind of live in defeat. And, and for others of us, you, when you signed up with Jesus, you thought, man, God's going to give me this full life. God, God's going to satisfy my soul. But the reality is, if you're honest with yourself and if you're honest with God, you would just say, you know, God, I'm just, I'm just not quite satisfied the way I thought it would be. Now, now God didn't call us to that. God called us to something else. And so what we've got to figure out is, and, and what the writer here of Galatians tells us is the issue is learning to, to understand the spirit-filled life. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, now it's now on, if you go on a college campus, it's called Crew. But a number of years ago, he wrote a little book, and the question was, or the title of the book was, have you, have you uh, made the wonderful discovery of the spirit-filled life? Because the spirit-filled life, it's the satisfied life, it's the empowered life, it's the life that God has caused it. So look down in your Bible there, and just look what it says in verse 16 of Galatians 5. Paul says, but I say, now he's talked about they were struggling with some things, and he said, you know, that's not where you need to be. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, the interesting thing about this verse is that, is that the text here assumes, it assumes that the people have the Spirit. It assumes that they possess the Spirit. What it says is you need to walk by the Spirit. And so kind of, so what we need to figure out is why did Paul assume that they have the Spirit? How, how did they get the Spirit or how does one receive uh, the Holy Spirit? Well, if you look back in your Bibles to chapter 3, listen uh, to what Paul says. We'll begin in verse 1. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was pub publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, did you earn, did you earn the Holy Spirit or did you believe and get the Holy Spirit? And then he goes on. He says, he says are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, in other words, ha having been saved by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law, or here's our phrase again, or by hearing with faith? And look down at verse 14. 
so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive, now listen to this statement, the promised spirit through faith. God promised something to the believer. And the promise, not only if you believe are you saved, not only if you believe are you forgiven, not only if you believe are you cleansed, but if you believe you get the Holy Spirit. In fact, look over to chapter four, verse six. It says, and because you are sons, sons of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts saying, Abba, Father. And so part of the, part of the deal, when you gave your life to Christ, you didn't just get forgiveness and you didn't just get heaven as your home. You got a promised helper called the Holy Spirit. And the scripture, we don't have time to get into all of them, but the scripture gives him a number of names. Jesus called him the, the comforter. Jesus called him the helper. Uh, Jesus uh, called him the counselor, the one who would guide us into all the truth. In fact, John said in 1 John 2 that you don't, if you're a believer, you don't even need someone to teach you because you have the anointing of the spirit which can teach you. So, so the promised one, he, he, he comforts, he helps, he guides, he counsels, he ministers to us. But, but more than that, uh, not only that, in, in Ephesians, it says that he's the seal of our salvation or the seal of our inheritance. He's kind of like the, um, the guarantor. You know, and, and I, we've talked about this before. If you put your money in the bank, if you go down to the bank, they got this little sign on the door. It's probably black with gold letters. It says FDIC, federally deposit insurance. So what happens if you put your money in the bank up to $250,000, they will guarantee you get your money. They guarantee it backed by the government. And so it's a guarantee. Well, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee that your salvation is real. As a matter of fact, it, it's, he's even considered as the earnest. How many of you ever bought a house? Anybody? How many of you? Okay. How many of you put money down Earnest money down so somebody else wouldn't get it, right? You had to put it at 500 or whatever. Well, you put, that, that you put down the earnest money, and the earnest money is the promise that says, okay, I'm going to give you the rest of the money. Now, it's a great analogy until you get to this part. The, the part is, though, if you, just, if you don't give them the rest of the money, you just lose that money. So, so, but the Holy Spirit is the earnest from God that says, okay, here's the promise. The, pro the Holy Spirit's the promise that one day Jesus is going to tiptoe down out of heaven and he's going to call his people and he's going to take you and you're going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. So the Holy Spirit is the down payment that guarantees to you and to me that that is going to happen. And so that's who this Holy Spirit is. And, and the way we receive him is when we repent of our sins and surrender control of our life to Christ, God sends his spirit into our hearts. Now, you don't have to understand internal combustion to drive a car. You just got to put in the gas. You don't have to understand everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit. You just need to know if I'm going to live for Jesus, I need to walk by and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So so we receive him by faith. And then look in our text at back in Galatians 5. How do we respond to him? And there's four different uh, terms. We're going to look at them real quickly, and then, then we'll 
say a couple quick thoughts. Verse 16 says, first of all, we need to walk by the Spirit. Now, the, the word there uh, for walk uh, simply means to conduct yourself. Um, it's, got, it's, a divine, it's, got, it's an imperative, uh, but it means to continually walk by the Spirit. The idea is that it, it should be, uh, our habitual behavior should be to walk according to the Spirit as opposed to walking according to the flesh. We'll talk about what that means in a moment. Then if you look in verse 18, it says that we're to be led by the Spirit. So, so we're to walk by him, to be empowered by him. We're, we're to be led by him. Then if you look down at verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, uh, a different verb, then the last one is we are to be, or to walk in step with uh, the Holy Spirit. And the, the interesting word there, the last one, this walking in step with the Holy Spirit, it, 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 means, to, it, it means to walk in line or to march in Battle order. I didn't watch the inaugural parade on Friday, but I, as I was driving around, I was listening, and they were talking about uh, when the president came out, they were talking about, okay, here's the military, here's all the services, they're all lined up in formation. And so they had a formation, and they, they were going to line up, and they were going to walk according to that. Well, the idea here, if you've been made alive by the Spirit, your life and my life, we should, we should be in order or in line with the Holy Spirit. It's whatever God, through the Spirit, shows us to do. That's how we should line up our life, and that's what we should do. And so that's kind of the idea there. Now, the dilemma is, the dilemma that we have is, is there's this battle going on. The Spirit lives in my heart as a believer, but there's also these works or deeds of the flesh. And that's not talking about the physical flesh. It's talking about the old nature. You know, the old sin nature that, that, that kind of leads, you know, left unchecked. You know, we gravitate toward that. You know, and, and he talks about that. And so he says, if we walk by the Spirit, we, won't we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In fact, look in verse 16. Some of your translations, it might, your, your text may say, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is, that is, if your Bible says that, make a note, that is an incorrect translation. The, the scripture does not command us to not gratify the desires of the flesh. The command is to walk by the Spirit, and if we're, if we're led by the Spirit, if we line up in, in, in line with what God has, then we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. So, so we're not, we don't have to not do that what we have to do is line up with the Spirit, and that's what God's calling us to do. So, so walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, living by the Spirit, that should be the focus of our life. It's not about, um, I, I don't know if any of you, uh, one of my hobbies or habits or bad behaviors, whatever, uh, I, I kind of like to ride uh, mountain bikes. And here's the thing about, if you go out mountain biking, here, there's this one rule that, and this is probably true in driving or anything, but if, if you want to avoid something, if you're on a bicycle and you're riding through the woods, and if you want to avoid a rock, the last thing you want to do is look at the rock. Because if you look at it, you'll hit it. Trust me. I've been over the handlebars and I know. So rather than focus on what not to hit, the rule is focus on where you want to go. Are you with me? Anybody with me? What Paul is saying here is don't focus on not sinning. Don't focus on not doing all these things. 
Focus on listening to and walking with the Spirit. Because if you do that, he says, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And then he kind of goes, and he talks about all those different things. And, and really, if you look at that long list of, of, of works of the flesh, man, there's basically you can divide them into three categories. Some of them have to do with sex and, and immorality. I mean, sexual immorality is the word for pornea, includes every kind of sexual sin you can imagine premarital, extramarital, uh, homosexual. I mean, you, pornography, it's all that one word encompasses everything. And so he says, you know, if, if you walk with the Spirit, you won't do that. And then he talks about religious stuff. He says, if you walk with the Spirit, you won't, you won't worship idols. Now, none of you, I bet none of you, I bet there's not a person in here who has a carving in your house that's an idol. I bet not one of us. None of us would have that. But when we think about idolatry, what we need to think about, if there's something in my life or if there's something in your life that we put up here and it takes rank or precedence over God, even if it's a good thing, if it's your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents, probably not your parents, but, uh, you know, even if it's a good thing, if it takes precedence over God, that's idolatry. And so what Paul's saying is, listen, if you focus on walking with the Spirit, you won't focus on sexual immorality and sexual sin. You won't focus on idolatry and religious sin. In fact, and then, he, and then there's a long list that talks about relationships. And he says, if you, if you walk with the Spirit, you know, you, you're not going to do those things. On the contrary, he says, there's a contrast. Look down in your Bible, verse 22. He says, rather than... Rather than carry out the deeds of the flesh, here's what will happen. If you walk by the Spirit, here's the fruit that you're going to bear. Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Can you imagine how good you would be if all nine of those were evident in your, I mean, if, if, if somebody looked at you and go, man, that person loves, they're filled with joy, they have peace, I've seen them with their kids, they got patience, they're, they're kind, they're good, they're gentle, they're faithful, and they have self-control. If, if somebody looked at you and they saw all that, they would go, wow, she is awesome. Or they would go, wow, he is awesome. Why? Why? You say, how do you know that? Because people unlike Jesus like Jesus. And Jesus was love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's what Jesus was. Now imagine and think about this. That's who Jesus was. The same spirit that filled Jesus, that led Jesus, that empowered Jesus to be all of that lives in you. And the same spirit that did all that in Jesus lives in me. And so we have the potential, unlimited potential, to be everything that God has called us to be. And there, there's some things, let me just share with you a couple things about the fruit of the spirit. If, if, if those fruits are present, if we live this spirit-filled life, there, there are three benefits. First of all, there's the benefit of attraction. I mean, people are just, listen, if, 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 we, if we bear those fruits, people are just gonna wanna be around us. 
I mean, we see that in the life of Jesus. I mean, every now and then you're around somebody, and you go, there's just something about them. They're nice, they're engaging, they're kind, they're gentle, they, you know, they, they pay attention to you. And, and when you get around somebody, you're like, you just, you just kind of gravitate to them. And if we can let the Spirit produce that in us, guess what will happen? People will gravitate to us. So the first benefit is the benefit of attraction. There's attraction that comes uh, by the Spirit-filled life. The second is, is what we would call connection. Notice how many of those things deal with relationships. Patience, uh, gentleness, kindness, goodness. Ladies, can I just ask you a question? Do you think it might help your marriage if your husband showed a little bit more gentleness and a little bit more patience and a little bit more kindness? A little bit. Do you think that might help your marriage a little bit? Anybody? You think it would? It's okay. You just elbow him and nod your head. It's good, right? Yeah. It would, I, I know my wife, she wants to shout amen. I know she does. Because I know, man, sometimes I like the gentleness and I like that. Fellas. Has your, has your, I know it's only happened probably once or twice. If you've been married 10 years, it's probably only happened once or twice. But, but if your wife happened to be on your case about something, you know, you didn't take out the trash or you didn't spend time with the kids or whatever it is, and she, and she just kind of kept reminding you. It may not ever happen to you, but it could have. But if she just kept reminding you, do you think if she had just a little bit of self-control, just a little bit, do you think it might help the relationship? Now, I know it's only happened once or twice, you know, in, in 10 or 20 years of marriage. But it, when it did happen, would, wouldn't it help just a little bit if she had some self-control? Sure it would. And, and so the, the benefit of the, of the spirit-filled life is it helps us in our relationships. It helps us to be more attractive. And then a, a third benefit of, of the fruit of the spirit, it, notice there, there's two words that kind of stand out. I've already used one of them. One of them is faithfulness. And the other is self-control. But imagine, imagine how the spirit-filled life could, can protect us from sin if we were faithful and had self-control. Because here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about me. Most of the time, we know what we should do. Most of the time, we know exactly what we should do. That is not the issue. The issue is are we going to be faithful to do it, and the issue is are we going to exercise the self-control to do it? Because if you, if you were to get up in the morning and you go to pour your coffee and you look on the kitchen table and lo and behold, there is, there is a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and you open them up and they had every flavor, you know that you shouldn't eat four. You know. In fact, you know that you shouldn't eat three. And, and, and some of you would say, you know, I probably shouldn't have two. That is not the issue. The issue is not, do you know what you should do? The issue is, do I have the self-control to only eat one? I get two because I'm a big boy, okay? Just saying that, you know, just, right? But it, the issue is not, it's not that we don't know how. Most of the time, we know what God wants us to do. That's not the problem. The problem is we need something to protect us. And so the Holy Spirit, when, when, when we walk by the Spirit, he gives us the power to be faithful, and he gives us the power to have self-control. Now, here's the thing. Here's the tension. Here's what's true in my life, and I think it might be true in yours. The tension that I have 
is I know that Jesus lives in my heart, and therefore I know the Spirit lives in my life. I know I have the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, sometimes I don't have those fruit. Sometimes I'm not patient. In fact, maybe a lot of times. And sometimes I'm not gentle, and sometimes I'm not good. Most of the time I'm not good, and sometimes I'm not kind. And so the tension is for the believer. Is, is here's what I, my life should look like. This is what it ought to look like. But the reality is, this is how it really looks. And this is how it really acts. And so there's this tension. Here's what I should be. It's what I could be. It's what God saved me to be. But here's kind of where I am. Now, how do we deal How do we get from here to here? Well, Paul says, we've got to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, it's not that we don't know what to do. The issue for most of us is we don't know how. And as I worked on this message, my greatest struggle is is to be able to tell you, how do you walk by the Spirit? How? Do we live the spirit-filled life? How, how do we do that? How can we do that? Well, Jesus, let's go to John 15. I, I want to read you what Jesus said, and then we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. John 15, the last night, I mean, the night before he was crucified, Jesus is sitting with his guys, and he gives them this analogy. And he says, I'm the tr- verse 1, I'm the true vine, and my Father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, that it may bear more fruit. D- did, you, did you hear bear fruit, bear fruit, bear fruit? Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus' desire for you and for me is to bear fruit. He wants love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. He wants that not to be the exception in our life, but to be the rule. The key is, the key to the whole thing is learning to abide or remain in Christ Jesus. And so if you're going to live the Spirit-filled life, if I'm going to live the Spirit-filled life, if we're going to walk by the Spirit, what that means is, is we've got to day by day, moment by moment, remain in Christ. I brought a little analogy. These are... Just pretend they're work gloves. They're actually not. They're running gloves because, you know, preachers don't work anyway. At least we don't need gloves to work. But just imagine if this was a work glove, the idea was, you know, it's a work glove. But the problem with this work glove is in and of itself, it can't do any work, right? It can't do anything. However, if, if, if I were to slip my hand into this work glove, then this glove could do anything that I could do, right? Imagine your life as a glove. 
By yourself, I'll use the other one. By yourself, you can't do any. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if we remain in him, if we abide in him, then whatever Jesus can do, we can do. And so the key for you and for me to live the spirit-filled life, the key to that is that we have to remain in Jesus. And so every day we ought to start with Jesus. Moment by moment as we go through our day, we need to be surrendered to Jesus. Now you go, okay, how do you do that? You trust him. And you ask him. You say, Jesus, I'm yours. I want to follow you. I want to remain in you. So today, I'm going to walk with you. And when you get off base, you just come back and say, okay, Jesus, I'm back. I want to follow you. If you want to live the spirit-filled life, if you want to live the empowered life, then you got to learn, I have to learn to abide with Jesus.